it's actually an incredibly dark thought where he purges himself through mass murder and killing the quote unquote bad guys. He purges himself in a blood ritual and he comes out of it a more whole centered and at peace human being. It's <laughs> what he needed. Motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef. <laughs> everybody it's time for one fucking hour i am evan husney uh joined of course by my dudes here to my left we got tom fitzgerald tom sup hey i'm back home for better or worse uh <laughs> and uh all things are in order now at one fucking hour we've settled into our three places you know well not me i mean i am uh oh wait no you're a variable again <laughs> yeah. holy christ we are a moving target yeah. okay right all right yep. well yeah, here we it's go. The summer I'm coming to you live from upstate New York right now. Um, but uh, back in his uh, usual wooden crate, we have to my right, uh, Mr. Marcus Herring. What's going on? Back in the crate. You know, one of these days, I'm going to figure out a good catchphrase for the beginning of the show. Whenever you start to introduce us, I go, oh, my brain goes, oh God, I didn't think of something to say. <laughs> How about this, Naganooch? No, <laughs> I don't No know one would ever. No one reference. Ever <laughs> oh well never mind it's uh jay of jay and silent bob oh no that's uh, that's like snoochie boochies yeah naganooch yeah just throwing it out i think there. it's snoochie boochies oh my god <laughs> I think it's the, both the poor you know why you know, wait wait hold on you know why i know that my friend worked at like google in like 20 years ago and he uh got swag at a google party and one of them was jay doll <laughs> listen to me it was a jay doll and it and we would just we were stoned out of our minds and we just you just press the back of his butt you know the button in the back of him and he'd just go like nah and i was like so i know for a fact that at some point that asshole said nah okay, because right. uh I'll oh wait i'm not talking i'm not done talking about jay yet he's my first la celebrity sighting you know maybe oh. circa 2001 Nooch? or something 2000 nooch. Um, it was like four o'clock in the morning at a gas station on uh, La Cienega. Jesus <laughs> Christ. All right. Apologies, uh, God, for all the new listeners who are going to click on our one fucking hour review of Taxi Driver and then hear uh, us nooching off in the first uh, couple of Jay seconds. Jay Silent Bob. Jesus Hey, Christ. welcome to one fucking hour, man. You know, that's, that's, how, the ball, that's how the ball crumbles. Okay. It is shameful. Yeah. It is shameful. All right, yeah. From from one dorm room movie to the next. All right, here we go. Um, <laughs> this week on One Fucking Hour, we are doing episode 35, guys. A little minor milestone. Uh, wow. It's going to be uh, One Fucking Hour on Martin Skezzy's, um Taxi Driver. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm all fired up about this. The coin toss from last week determined our fate. We was either going to be King of Comedy or Taxi Driver. And it's, it, it uh, determined our death style, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the coin toss, to so I've speak. Been, sorry, I've been listening oh, to yeah. Saint Anger way more than wow. I should be. I'm sorry, that's I, really I, that's heavy. You should see a therapist. Yeah, you should see Doctor Phil about that. <laughs> the other, I mean, you know, Cosby sweater, Doctor Phil. Okay. Anyway, Wait, when you right. sent me that song, it was called. I was like, it's called Sweet Amber. 
Yes. And it's called on the album Saint Anger. Yeah. <laughs> Does everything rhyme on that record? Or No, what is that? <laughs> I, my theory is that um, the even dumber people started uh, getting into the lyrics and songwriting. <laughs> so it's even dumber than usual. Just my thought, my two cents well, not being. A, oh, that's a, we see that in the movie, right? Yeah, yes, right. That's yeah, and then yeah. that's where you got, you know. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, shout out to. Sure. Uh, yeah, that was a little shout out to our episode from a few weeks. Was that last week? Uh, yeah. Yeah, last week's last episode, week. one fucking hour in Saint Anger. So, or Saint Anger. <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> we should do one fucking right, let's, hour let's start again. in Saint Anger. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, uh, I want to just bring up that Evan suggested that we do another hour on some kind of monster this week. He did. Don't don't put him on Front Street. I'm Um, I'm totally okay with that. Like, well, it'd be just the outtakes. Yes. Oh, they're so good. By the way, Um, maybe someday. You know what? Maybe maybe a Patreon campaign or something. That sounds good. That sounds good. Special bonus. I'm not averse to that. Ooh, I like that. Um, Hey, my lifestyle. You know. Yeah. You know. Best style here. <clears throat> All right. You wash my back. You know, we do a second episode of, uh, of some uh, kind of monster. Metallica lyrics. Oh, my God. All right. Anyway. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. You guys fucking ready for this? Uh, okay. Yeah. One fucking hour on Taxi Driver. I'm going to start that clock officially. <laughs> Let's get out of this world and into the night. I'm laughing already. Tick tock. <laughs> All right. Friend, tick, 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 tock. Here we go. All right. Um,. All right, I'm not going <laughs> to... Normally on this show, we obviously read a little synopsis, fill you guys in on the movie. This week, there's no need to do that. Everybody knows Taxi Driver. Um, and I have to be honest, when the when the coin flip uh, from uh, the end of last week's episode picked Taxi Driver, I was kind of like, mm-hmm. oh, shit. Like, do I have stuff to say about this movie that hasn't been said already? Um, mm-hmm. And that kind of freaked me out a little bit, to be honest, when we committed to it. But I did obviously watch the movie again for the millionth time uh, before going into this. And yeah, there is a lot of, you know, shit on the floor there to to sort of examine that, you know, I don't think a lot of people, uh, you know, sort of zero in on with this movie because a lot of classic moments and classic scenes that are overshadowed by pop culture and blah, blah, blah. Um, so anyway, yeah. Obviously. There's a lot. We could do like 10 minutes on Albert Brooks, for instance. Oh, not for a lot, sure. Not a lot of people do that. No. For instance. No. Exactly. You know? Yeah, so I'm sure we'll be getting into Not, things like that. Yeah, well, we will do that, but just of course. But now with the clock running, Tom, I know you have a you have a fun anecdote about how you first heard about this movie. Take <laughs> yeah. us take take us back to your initial Gosh. exposure with uh, Taxi Driver. Yeah, well, uh, my grandfather was a real character, a uh, very cool guy, Pete. And um, just to give you some color on him, um, he is Lithuanian, and so he idolized. Um, Charles Bronson, because he's Lithuanian, and they actually right. look, it, it looks somewhat similar. And uh, he was like, you know, he's one of us, he's our hero. And he loved Death Wish, and he lived in Chicago and then like kind of not so great neighborhood in uh, Long Beach. And he uh, owned guns, and uh, he went to the firing range a lot. And uh, if you fuck with him, he would shoot you because he fucking walked around with a gun Whoa. on the bus and stuff. So uh, <laughs> you see what I'm saying? But yeah. He's also great. He would also go home <laughs> and play Chopin on his upright piano in his apartment. Awesome. You know? So he's a do- he was a really dope guy, you know. So he's the coolest guy in the family, even more than me. So he loved movies, too, in general, like great films and not so great films. And uh, he was like, hey, guys, I saw a taxi driver. I'm like really young, like six or seven. And I was like, OK, what is that? And, he's, and he just told us the ending. And he's like, yeah, man, this guy had enough. And he, <laughs> and he, he just started shooting 
all these drug dealers and, and like criminals. He shoots me, shoots this one guy. He shoots him and his hand explodes and all his <laughs> fingers fall off. And I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> like, what are you saying? I love and, that. I th- and I thought like, uh, oh, I'm misunderstanding what he's saying. And like, you know, I didn't see it, of course, for like many, many years. And uh, then I saw it and I went, wow, that's exactly what he described, you know? And uh, he loved it. And um, yeah, just the fingers. And I was like, uh, really haunted by that. And I saw it in a different way. I thought it was in like a, like a dirty sun drenched kind of Southern California, because we were on Long Beach. <laughs> like I thought it was in a dirty uh, part, like abandoned lot, like, Whoa. you know, in like uh, South Central in the day, uh, harsh daylight. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, that's just me <laughs> fixing that because Dude, of where we live. The, so, the version it. of that movie of like, <clears throat> like from your six-year-old brain of what that movie, right. what you the visualize. I want to see that fucking movie. I no, I know. You, yeah. you, you do actually. And sometimes a, a, a black exploitation or just, you know, exploitation film would kind of resemble that. And um, actually, uh, I don't know. Well, anyway, that's if you guys have anecdotes, that's cool. Well, but it got Marcus, my, my, go ahead. do you do you do you oh. have any origin with Taxi Driver? I do, but yeah, go ahead. I don't. I think this is. I've. I you know. I gotta confess. I thought. I was the same with you. I thought maybe I couldn't add anything to this movie, and I. I, I probably haven't watched this movie in like thirty years. Like I oh, think no the sure. last time oh. I saw it was on VHS. I mean, I'm very familiar with it. But I just a lot. There are complete scenes I did not remember going through, which is a shock for me. Oh, but um, uh, but no, I think I saw it. This is one of the first movies I saw that was like a big person grown up movie. You know, like um, moving yeah. on from like Goonies or Aliens or that kind of stuff to this type of movie. Um, this and like um, my dad let me watch uh, Clockwork Orange when I was really little. So but really? I think I brought that up before. But um, but this was the right. first kind of like. You know, this Midnight Cowboy, I think going out renting it by my, you know, renting it with my friend. We were like 13 years old. And and I do remember watching it in, you know, I didn't take, I didn't go to film school, but I did take, a, there was like one or two film courses in school. One was history of musical theater and one was um, film production. I didn't produce any films, but we did watch Taxi Driver. And I remember I was jaded even then. I was kind of like going like, you know, it's like 18 year old me or something going like, God, we're gonna watch this movie. Like everyone likes this movie. It's so dumb. Like that we're, you know, like what is there to say about it? Where I don't know. I remember being kind of jaded by it then. But I mean, it's I don't know. But I don't know. I don't have that much to say. I, lo- I do love this movie. It's great. You know, I don't. Um, but well, that's it's so f- that's like you know. <laughs> it's so funny you said that because like about you know this being your first big grown up movie because it was for me too. I mean, prior to seeing Taxi Driver, my life was on a course to become you know, a metal lead guitarist. That's where, I mean, we talked about that last week, you know, with right. me, me getting into Metallica and, and Megadeth and Slayer. That's where my head was going. I was like, I'm going to be that fucking dude. You know, that was going to be me. And yeah. then um, and then I really saw this movie. And this is true. I saw this movie, I think probably like a lot of people, and really screwed my head on with like, holy shit, like, you know, this is a real fucking movie. Are other movies like, like the power this? of cinema? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like, yeah. cause, wow, I didn't know that. Because just like you, I was, you know, Terminator guy, Aliens guy, like that was me, you know, and like that stuff's cool and everything. But then when you see this, it cuts so much deeper, you know, and everything's firing, all everything's firing on all cylinders. And and you and you see this movie and you're really like, holy shit, De Niro and everything. So this movie actually changed my course to where I, I think at 15 when wow. I saw it, I think I was 15, 
that's when I started to like, you know, my parents signed me up for film courses, like, you know, during the oh. summer. And then I got into making movies and I totally changed my whole life around. It's a singular film title. Yeah. Uh, as far as influencing you about like, like going yeah. that course is amazing. And I'm not surprised because, I mean, again, let's just say Durr once and not say it again. But it's like, yeah, it's a very powerful film. And everyone in every department is running on, you know, all cylinders. Durr. Well, but like, yeah. uh, because that's, also, that's really crazy. Wow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and it was like, I remember going to friends' houses and showing them this movie, like, hey, here's something really, you know, legit. Let's watch it. Mm. And everyone kind of be like, this is boring. Mm. Until, like, you know, he makes that little <laughs> thing with the gun in his arm. As soon as all the kids, you know, saw the little, like, that little retractable gun thing in his arm, like, that's cool, right. you know, and all that shit. Yeah. Um, but then, like, you see the it prepping. now. You see it now, like you know, when you're harder, when you've when you've lived more, and you've seen a harder side of life, and you've seen some fucked up shit, mm-hmm. especially living in New York, like mm-hmm. I have 15 years and things like right. that. It cuts in a totally different way. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so. it's pretty interesting. Like, like mm. this movie for me is like not really separable from like just the how it is embedded in culture like you know like for me i'm sure i'm positive i saw a parody of the most famous scene before or like someone quoting it or something before seeing this movie you know same and um and like it just was it 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 pops up in all kinds of weird places like i remember the clash for like had like a reference to it more right. like songs you know and that i think right. that's why joe strummer has like the mohawk and that later clash stuff and well i have some thoughts you know, it's like <laughs> um actually if we could maybe transition this could be interesting hey yeah. this might be where the direction of this conversation goes um as much as anything and what i mean is uh the cultural uh, ripples of the film so i've got two little things for you guys um you know the film happened i was a very little kid my grandfather said that insane shit, and i was like whoa and then i didn't really think about it but then everyone in the world about five years later after the film came out thought of taxi driver because of john hinckley trying to kill the president of the united states of america right. after writing love letters to jody foster which devo <laughs> took and made lyrics to one of their songs if you guys don't know that whoa i didn't know that yeah, there's a song on like their Oh No album. Big Mess? Is that Big Mess? I'm not, I'm not sure. But um, yeah, the, all the lyrics of this song are from his, the love letters from Hinckley to Jodie Foster. Anyway, what wow. I'm saying is like it had this like second life as this big thing where like like he, you know, he followed through like Travis Pickle and, you know, uh, almost killed uh, not a candidate, but, but a president of the United States. And so it was a lot of con- it became a much hotter film and got into sort of a different topic than just like the isolated urban loner killer vigilante kind of thing and got into this whole like um uh it's it's actually it's still with us in, in a way oh, yeah. uh this really yeah this really gnarly concept of copycatting you know everything from like the guy who oh, shut up all those poor people at the batman movie whatever the fuck that was oh, and this, God, this yeah. asshole is dressed like joker and so this was the beginning of that so that's that's a dark you know, origin story for all this, but I'll just say this. I saw, I had a bumpy road in seeing this film. So I'm only a little older and it was on television, but it was on like NBC on, uh, and I watched it and it was heavily edited. So it was kind of pointless, but it kept like every commercial break, it had a disclaimer. I think it's on YouTube where it's like, this film is very serious. And if you, you know, and it's like, uh, it, it even like mentions John Hinckley or something. It was such a, it was a hot potato, like crazy. Was but it like we don't speak- endorse violence of any kind or something? I don't know. I read about that today. Yeah, yeah, too. probably. Right. Yeah. 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 Like, but then there's one, 
Well, I was going to say one other thing about culture in the early 80s with it. I was looking at the Village Voice, and I didn't really understand punk, but I was very curious. I was still very young. It's like 1981. And there was an ad for, yeah, it was an ad for Taxi Driver playing Midnight's in the Village Voice. And it said, um, free admission for all people who have a Mohawk haircut. And I was like, holy shit. Because that's, I'll tell you, the the Mohawk haircut is in punk, that is directly nothing. Not the Mohicans. It was fucking Travis Bickle. That's yeah. punk, hundred yeah. yeah, percent. Sure. And I, I kind of witnessed it, and you'd start seeing it in the city, and and they even wear the jacket, you know, the army jacket. Yeah. So like, um, I didn't even connect those dots till tonight. Like when I was, you know, I was this movie so like elemental in culture. I never really even thought about the year, but now that like you know, like I really dug into like what was going on with like punk back then, and just adding up the years, I'm like, yes, definitely all that like. Mm-hmm. Second wave Mohawk shit that came with exactly is definitely timed out. Oh so yeah, like, this is like, predates like. But it's eighty. No. Yeah, Quincy punks. It's like eighty. Yeah, but that's yeah. the thing. It's because it's eighty. Just to geek out, and maybe again, this is where the conversation is going. But like to geek out, there was a second life in about eighty or in eighty one. So you're right. Second wave punk and more suburban, as they call Quincy punks, because of the terrible Quincy episode with punks. It's right. like that's where the Mohawk blew up because of the notoriety of the film because of Hinckley and because of the attempted assassination. That's interesting. That makes sense. Yeah. That clash album's like 83 or something. So it is, yeah. I, I was wondering like, why is it like seven years later that they're kind of exactly. like referencing exactly. it? Yeah, yeah, well, it and, but also, Oh, good. If I can say for the audience, the song by Devo is I desire by Devo. Just, just a quick Google search. I need there. to listen to that. Yeah. I think, um, uh, God, I think somebody, Oh, the label was, infuriated when they found out because Devo never told them and they found out later it's like what did you do anyway so uh yeah and that's like 82 by the way that's Devo there you go like right in the pocket right in the cut um exactly but uh I guess another element though and this is kind of an interesting thread that we're kind of jamming on here but uh it's not uh it's not just like oh shoot Reagan you know like uh, alienation in that sense like uh with the government for punks i think it really spoke to like especially that urban punk and i think it's specifically like a band like fear you know, you know what i mean like um where it's like or, or even black flag where it's like i'm in the city i'm living like travis pickle and it's a very hostile violent la new york city or any other shitty you know urban urban area it's like super not it's not the suburbs it's super urban you're taking your life in your hands you're eating one slice of pizza a day punk rocker you know what i mean <laughs> and you're getting in fights and you're be- getting beaten up uh you know it's like very confrontational you know like you're being beaten up just because of your mohawk that kind of thing so it just well, really i think spoke to punk yeah well, because, inserting yourself into that seedy world too yeah you know? and well he's also such a you're just poor <laughs> you know a lot of punk guys were poor like more like real punks well he's not such so a, much like circle jerks he, he's such an iconic like outsider you know and the whole idea yeah. is 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 sort of the alienation that he has in this movie, obviously, yes. and perfect and, word, and and that is kind of I think what you know the punks are identifying and appropriating as something cool, you know. But 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 what I saw on this viewing, just to transition here for a minute, <clears throat> is I think when I when I saw it when I was younger, I too sort of was watching it 
with the lens of this is fucking cool. He's got the retractable gun gimmick. He's got the knife in the boot. You know, he's got his hand up on the flame, brother. You know, he's got these yeah. things that are cool, right, to see and, and identify. Yeah, like fuck he's all He's an urban warrior. Urban you warrior. Know? Fuck all these squares. Like, I get it. That's cool, right? But on this viewing, and I don't mean to be boring or anything by just saying, like, it's hard to ignore... <laughs> Um, you know, what's going on today, you know, just in the in, in the landscape of, you know, mass shootings happening and 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 just the, uh, oh, the whole proud boy was shot to death yesterday. Yeah, exactly. He tried to fuck with the FBI Yeah, yeah with, a, with a nail gun. Yeah. But the idea mm-hmm. of just like, you know, the psychology behind uh, a, a person like Travis Bickle is so much more out in the open these days. So to me, it's like I'm really picking cells in cell yeah. culture. Oh, of course. Exactly. And I'm just picking up on things that are much more disturbing, 10 times, 50 times. It's very disturbing. More, <laughs> like more disturbing. It's not cool anymore. Yeah. You know, and so... Um, I know what you, I know what so, you mean. So yeah. can I... Unless, Marcus, you have something to add to that. There's one scene that really stuck out to me. But Marcus, please. And then I'd love to talk about this one scene if we can. Oh, yeah. I want to get into that scene. Uh, just was going to mention that. Yeah, I feel it is... I was thinking about, too, like a lot of just American psychology because, uh, you know, like cowboy culture and like you know this like assassination thing goes back pretty far right and this movie was inspired by partially by somebody who tried to assassinate george wallace and like you know there's like arthur bremer right complete side note there is an amazing book i actually own it it's called an assassin's diary and it's the whole book it's an expensive paperback but it's simply a transcription of arthur bremer and you're reading taxi driver travis bickle because wow. yeah you got you got to get it dude it's worth every penny uh, I'll get it. oh yeah I'll get um it, it, and i didn't mean to interject but I, i'm really glad you brought that up marcus it's um i have it i've read it and and you know um that is where paul paul schrader read it too <laughs> that's what i'm getting at so it's not an indirect yeah. reference paul right. schrader was heavily inspired by his own shitty life here in la actually and um, specifically, an Assassin's Diary by Arthur Bremer, wildest paperback ever, kind of. Wow. Okay, Marcus, you're reading. Yeah. Together. No, I mean it's uh, yeah. No, totally. That's amazing. Uh, I think it's uh, just there's something about like the there's like a weird. I don't know how to express it, but it's like there's a weird uh, tension here between like you know that he's a bad guy, but he's cool, and it taps into this American thing where it's like you know that even today that he would be like a. You know, I don't know. Like he could be the like the like the prop boy or something today. Or I have something. a lot but to say about this that. movie. Appeals to like left wing nuts too. You know, like there's something about it that just feels like you have like a he's like a hero in some way. So it's very and I feel like it is just a it feels like a very American kind of thing. And I think it goes back to a like cowboy or whatever. There's all there's some deep American psychology well, Marcus, this film type you do taps know, into. You know, not to not to keep footnoting you, Marks, but you're raising killer uh, lines of questions uh, lines of uh, uh inquiry Discussion. yeah evan you are circling the airport one second you're talking about cowboy you know another huge influence on schrader and then later scorsese is the searchers right 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 okay and that's a that's mid-50s cowboy movie starring john wayne and uh natalie wood is um kidnapped a white girl on the prairie is kidnapped by native americans and the Native Americans in this case, you know, Jodie Foster is Natalie Wood in, in Taxi Driver, and the, uh, the pimps and lowlifes are the uh, Native Americans in The Searchers. So there you go. You're talking about Americana. You're talking about cowboys. So there's another yeah 
total huge influence on uh, the script, at least. Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's, go ahead, Evan. And the, and the look, by the way, last thought, cowboy stuff, the look of um, Harvey Keitel's pimp is modeled after, guess what? Like an Indian. Well, in you know this, what I heard the, about a, that? You know, in a, in a corny sense, headband, right. heard, long hair. I heard that uh, Harvey Keitel had a pimp in his neighborhood where he grew up. I can't remember where, what neighborhood in New York he grew up in, but he had a pimp that li- was in the neighborhood and that's exactly how he dressed this guy. And so he actually, wow. when he was cast in the role, he was like, I got a, like he was going to production saying, I, I, you know, cause he had that long hair, the guy in his neighborhood. And he's like, I need to get that wig. And they're like, well, we don't have the money for that wig, you know? <laughs> and uh, he like went to Marty and he's like, do we need this wig? Cause it's, you know, it is, he's trying to inhabit someone, <laughs> For real, that was in his neighborhood, which right. is amazing. And so they said, "Fine, we'll give you the wig." I love wig, it with long hair. Yeah, it's amazing. But I bet that Schrader, I bet it did resonate with Schrader. Like, uh, sure. if you're going this way, I fucking love it because you do look like a stereotypical engine kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you're circling the airport, Evan. I'm an, I'm I'm now circling the airport. I got to land, Marcus. So hit it, and then I'll yeah. land to. Well, I, Marcus kind of also hit, hit up on a ton of different topics I want to get to, um, maybe down the line in terms of that, when you talked about him as a hero thing. I won't, let's earmark that for later if we can. But the one thing I want to talk about just on this viewing in terms of like, holy shit, like how, how uh, first off, the filmmaking, you know, that really fired off for me watching it again on this one particular scene, but also just how disturbing the movie felt more so watching it again was uh, probably my favorite scenes in the entire film is the scenes with uh, Travis Bickle hanging out with his other taxi cab drivers. The, um, the wizard. Peter wizard as the wizard. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's amazing because they're very underrated scenes. Obviously, here on One Fucking Hour, we always champion that doc style uh, sort of approach. I know we talk about that a lot. And that sort of has that in those scenes. You get to see these great, gritty New York set pieces, those cafeterias, those diners, you know, the, the, the cafeterias you walk in and the little ticket comes out, you know, and shit like that. Um, well, they're all night cafeterias, like three, because yeah. it's like 4 a.m. because they have weird hours. It's so exactly. good. Exactly. Just all these great unseen places of the city. And he captures them so well just with texture and everything. But the characters he's creating in that scene are so three-dimensional and so true to life. Like, how about the guy that comes up and he's like, yeah, I got the Errol Flynn's uh, bathtub tile. You want to take boy. See, there's, wanna there's a little water tile. stain. Yeah. What do you think of that? What do you think I could get for that? Yeah. That's incredible. Too real. Too real. That Too is, real. that's a deep, see, that's some one fucking hour shit. That <laughs> makes the movie for me. That's a deep cut. I, I, I could recite every line he says, and I long for that scene. I'm like, get to him because it's so good. You see, and that guy is such a mid seventies like honky looking character actor, and you see him in other stuff, you know. Actually, um, and, and and that's the thing. It's like, uh, you know, New York is such a, a, a you know a place where it attracts people from all over, and not unlike Travis, this guy is so, kind of an oaky. You know, mm-hmm. and he's kind of bringing that like weird old like cracker honky kind of like uh, you see that like a scamming cheese ball guy is probably going to, you know, like borrow money from you and disappear and like wind up in Tulsa stabbed in the neck, you know. So um, and uh, it's just but such a vivid character. And aside, so side note, uh, Peter Boyle's The Wizard. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of terrible advice. 
moments. Oh, and that's, that's what the I want to get to. Terrible yeah. advice scene ever. Yeah, let's do that's it. Let's see it. Yeah. Can I can I get there? Sure. So so I just want to say real quick, shout out to Peter Boyle. He's so good in this movie. He's so good at playing that sort of right wing, you know, you, you, obviously another one fucking hour contender is the movie Joe. He's kind of echoing yeah, the Joe character yeah. um, a little bit uh, in this like movie. Like a mellowed out Joe. Very mellowed like out Joe. Later. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. I don't know. So, uh, go to a whorehouse, you know, like yeah. Uh, yeah, get late. <laughs> But there's this movie. He's the or, spiritual center of the movie, right? Like it's like Obi Wan Kenobi or something. I think just, no, <laughs> oh. I, well, that's the it, well, he's the that, wizard. It's called the wizard. Well, it's like you know the land of the you know the the land. Well, in of the their blind, world, one-eyed he's like a wise guy. I'm you know, saying yeah. the, in the land of the yeah. blind, the one-eyed man is king. Um, but let and, me get and, there. exactly. Um, <laughs> so 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 just just want to touch on this scene because it's 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 amazing when Travis is it, it's that all night cafeteria scene where. Um, you know, Travis asks asks to speak to the wizard outside, right? A kind of a uh, cry for help uh, sort of moment where he yeah. brings him outside, and then of it's course, very there's sad actually, very very sad. And there's that one guy, the other the other cabbie sitting next to him, and he says, "Bye, killer," and he goes, you know, and that yeah. unbelievable moment. But they go. Well, outside, there's a lingering stare with, and there's racial tension in that moment. You know, totally, a hundred percent. And so he takes him outside, and. Um, <clears throat> You know, Travis Bickle starts to confide in him about how you know things have got him down, and he's and and it's it's really this dark moment because that's when, you know, and then the I guess what the wizard's talking about this bad advice is he's talking about sort of like well you know you are who your job is you know you yeah, are it's like, kinda, well he doesn't understand he thinks like oh it's another cabbie who's kind of down on like right. having to hit the cab in the morning he's kind of over the job and. He's kind of burnt out, but boy, it runs so much deeper with Travis. And Travis is so, one of his maladies is, is he's not just inarticulate to others about his feelings, but he's inarticulate to himself. So he yeah. really couldn't even muster, he no, couldn't even guys, get close to his, his feelings No, the, to, the, to, to, uh, to he, the wizard. And and these guys can't relate on any level. I mean, he's sort of just giving him. He's just sort of saying like, yeah, you know, there was a time in America, you know, when you were your job. But you know, for Travis, right. he is this. Taxi well, the wizard driver. is just like, general, like classic whatever fucked up. Like he's probably an alcoholic yeah. who cares, you know. Yeah. But Travis is like several depths down in the fan- fathoms, you know. Exactly. Um, he's but, just completely. But the, but, yeah. Great okay. scene and very and I find it very sad because it's the last. What's well, the last chance of Travis? It's, it's need, the last. Need, I didn't bring a spray bottle to saying, upstate New York. I didn't bring one. Go ahead. Go, go, go. <laughs> okay, I didn't bring a spray bottle up to New All York. All right. Go. Uh, okay. <laughs> but basically, I, I, I just want to say, like, you know, for him, it's like, you know, the reason he became a taxi driver is, and, and that's what really became clear, you know, to me in this, in, in watching it again, was this idea that he can't sleep. You know, he, wa- he wants to work long hours. And the reason for that is, is because he wants to drown out the bad things, you know, and he wants to escape himself, you know, and that becomes, and that, in that moment, this is the turning point for that character, this scene right here. And to me, I never saw it that way before, where it's like, wow, this is really the moment when this, this cry for help scene is when he goes full dark side and there's mm-hmm. no coming it's back. It's the pivot point. It's the pivot point, yeah. And, yeah. and, and to me, that that is uh, just well, a there's two kind pivot of points. undervalued section of that yeah. movie, I feel like. Well, I mean, I, go ahead. Before we move on from The Wizard, I just want to say, like, as a kid, I don't even, like, you know, when I first saw this, I don't know that I picked up on it being all the levels of bad advice or, you know, like, I think like I took it at face value that he's like this, uh, he is like a wise guy or like he's the wise among the cabbies or whatever. You know what I mean? And yeah, well, I'm just, just I'll just like, quote Travis. Just, Travis says, that's like the worst advice I've ever heard, you know? <laughs> and, and the wizard's like shrugs. Like, I don't know. 
I'm just going with with the he movies. He just can't relate. To, he just can't relate to him. He can't relate to him in yeah. any way. But also the articulation on Travis's part. Right. But now I I, I did want to talk about this because I wanted to get your guys' opinion on it. You know, as the clock is running, because to me that scene watching it, it does feel like the point of no return. You know, he's talking about. Things have got him depressed to the point where he wants to take action of some dark kind. And of course, like I was mentioning, bad thoughts. Bad thoughts. We we live in a time where people with a lot of bad thoughts go out and do things, right? And so I'm thinking, I don't know, I want to get your guys' take on this because when that stuff happens, that's when we go into those montage scenes we've been talking about. That's when he puts his, you know, his fist under the fire. That's when Urban Warrior prepping. Urban warrior prepping, he's doing all that stuff, right? That's when the scene happens, when super grim scene, when he shoots the guy holding up the convenience store as well. It's all going on. Yeah, horrible scene. But everything's happening after that, right? But then Iris comes into the movie. And I wanted to get your guys' take on this because maybe, you know, sometimes we talk about on this show, like, you know, when we talk about perfect movies, are are there one thing that kind of rubs you the wrong way? I kind of feel like... In the scene with De Niro, even though he's very charming, uh, with Iris, uh, when he tries to rescue her, you know, from this world, I kind of feel like it's not really authentic to the character. You know, I kind of feel like a little Hollywood cheese coming in a little bit of this of him, him. Um, like I get that. I mean, their the breakfast, point. their breakfast together. Like their breakfast together, and the idea. Like I feel like he's already past that point. What do you guys think? Well, isn't part of it that he's like an an authentic human being too? Like he's he seems to be struggling to like act normal in life. You know, like it always stuck out to me that when he goes out with Silver Shepherd, he's like, I ordered a slice of, you know, a, a slice of pie with melted cheese on top, which I think was a good choice. You know, like <laughs> that line always stuck out to me. Cause I'm like, what does that mean? And I, what I interpret it now is he's like, I was, I think I was looking like a normal human being at that moment. Well, you know, to I, speak to what you're saying and so how, I'm, and how off he is from being normal. Let's also quote Travis in saying, after she runs out of the porno that he takes her to, goes, I don't know. It's not so bad. There's worse porn. I see a lot of couples go to this. Yeah. You know, he's so yeah. cool. I don't know much about movies. Like, so I guess that, that could be with Iris is that he's he also is just acting a character or trying to be like a, a normal, perhaps acting how he thinks a normal person should act. I don't or agree with that you know? because, because he had to take the initiative to even talk to her. Like she didn't come to him. I have a thought. If, if, if uh, you know, if, yeah. if that, that is where this is going in conversation, there's actually, I think, two pivots. There's pivot A and, well, there's actually one pivot, and then there's a, a um, reflection of where the effects of the pivot. I think the first pivot is the rejection of Sybil Shepherd's character. Mm. That's actually the heart of the center of the film and the pivot point where he dips over. And I think it relates to Iris. This is why I'm bringing it up, because... He's doing a thing with women. I mean, he's very alienated from everyone, but particularly women. But of course, he's a male, so he's a, he's excited and, and, and driven, drawn to women. You know, he comes on to the girl who works at the porno, sh- uh, you know, concession stand at seven in the morning. You know, like he's you know he's 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 lonely and he wants to be with a woman. So he has a very screwed up kind of Madonna whore thing, or almost just only a Madonna thing about women, the way he talks about the Civil Shepherd character, he's like, she's all in, I'm paraphrasing, she's all in white, she's pure, nothing can touch her. Right, like she's right. an angel floating above this disgusting, ugly right. city, which is hell on earth. He's she's gone. Yeah. yeah, right, exactly. She's gone, like she's not a real person. She's yeah. this idealized uh, uh, vision of like, 
uh, female purity. She rejects him. She's uh, she's gone. He turns to another projection on uh, the idea of feminine purity in, in the form of the 12 year old girl, not sexual, of course, he's not thinking I want to date her, but right. he's idealizing her and not allowing her to maybe have a complex 12 year old childhood, where she's maybe kind of like having sexual thoughts or like um, rebelling and acting out, you know, what I mean, he's just like, you're a little girl, and you're floating above this disgusting hell on earth, New York City. So he's actually cha- he's transferring from Shepard to Iris. And I think he has 100% genuine interest in her. You though, guys, Evan, you started this, are raising a point that actually Kale had as a compunction with the film. Oh, wow. And De Niro's performance. And, and if you were saying, you know, we, we tried to start this and we it's were criticizing- the deliver- It's the it, it, well, it, Can I say that that's I what I kind of meant? This. It, it's, it's the performance no, no, sorry, I was, I, yeah. That's well, all I'm, I'm saying. agreeing with you. And what I'm saying is we had this fun idea when we started our first show. Say? I don't know what you're agreeing with, but what'd you say? Just, what just you one second. I wanted to preface this concept because we abandoned it. We had a perfect film in our first film, Deliverance, and we had a great time nitpicking, and we never really <laughs> did it again. But I think we're doing it today, so I'm sorry. Uh, Evan, finish your thought, but this is a nitpick da-dum, on a near-perfect film. Go ahead. Yeah, and I, I know exactly where you're going with this, so I'll just reiterate. It's just like, to me, just to make it clear... Uh, after all of the sort of, you know, Travis spiraling down stuff that we're watching, very dark, very disturbing, especially in today's world, compared to today's world. And um, when he sits down, has breakfast with Iris, and there's the Iris stuff, it doesn't, his performance to me, uh, the way that, or it's written, or his performance feels inauthentic to where his, the, the, the trajectory, the thread of where the character is going. It, it feels a little phony. And, I, and, and to me, uh, you know, and, and I don't know, I'm not trying to have a hot take here. I just was watching it and being very disturbed. And maybe I'm projecting a lot of what we know, the psychology of you know, mass shooters and weirdos today and stuff. But, but to me, it was like, hmm, I don't know. I don't know if he'd have it all together to be like, you should be out of here. You shouldn't right. be here. What are you doing? You know, I, I know. If I can, just uh, to totally piggyback on your observation, that's very interesting. And I, before you even said this today, because you brought up like, is there a flaw in a perfect film? And I thought, okay, (laughs) I'll follow what Pauline Kael said. She had a few criticisms of Taxi Driver, like three or four. Uh, And she said um, she was actually not buying the charming way that De Niro was with Sybil Shepard. Oh, okay. Not Iris, but Sybil Shepard. And I, and I, I kind of shut it out because I'm very protective of this film, but I like, I let it in. And now you're saying this about him and Iris. And she's like, Kale is saying, where did this charming guy who could have a little back and forth with a girl, you know, over coffee, like, because where did that come from? Because otherwise I'm seeing a guy who's like almost drooling and saying, oh, we're going to date at seven in the morning when he's buying O. Henry bars at a porno <laughs> you know, Peter. Uh, so, so it, right, it did ring right. false to her. So it's interesting, and I guess I don't know if it's a flaw, but I know it's a little weird. I agree with you, and that is coming down to the choice in him taking that turn in his performance. I agree. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, it. Uh, that's I think what's part of the things that makes him like a sympathetic. The audience. Well, one of the ways the audience can be kind of sympathetic to him too is because when De Niro does have those charming moments in his yeah. performance. It might it's be not too like dark. he's trying to play like a pure psychopath or something or yeah. like, you know, like I don't, I'm not a big American psycho fan, but just to pick that movie, it's like, he always is like, I'm a crazy person that you don't like. There's nothing you don't, you don't like that character. You don't want to be him. You don't want to, 
be a vigilant. You don't want to do, you know, so I think like there's something about this character though, that people like, and you yeah. know, that it's hard, even yeah, though, you know, yeah. he did this horrible thing. Yeah. You still like him. And like, there's like weird American murder fantasies all tied up in there. So I think it's like, there's something about, and it might be attributed to his, like kind of the way that he, that De Niro does, let the charisma through, you know, every, Maybe. every now and or again. Or Scorsese allowed it to get through. Yeah, yeah. I think it's I think it's a little bit of that. You know, because weird does, choice. Yeah, it, it is a weird choice. And 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 to me it's prop like it, I kind of chalk it up to be like well, maybe this movie would have been just too misanthropic, you know, or or maybe you know you needed a little producer note in there to have something like this, like this character with Iris and all that other stuff and and his performance. Because um, with the Betsy character, you know, Sybil Shepherd, it's so I think that's really well done because that to me, I'll tell you another scene. So when they when they leave the uh, the porno theater and he's like, you know, I I just I don't know movies, you know, to me that that works so well with the character because I think that there is there is some sort of self sabotaging element to him where it's like he's Mm. got this thing with her and he almost breaks through because you know he he is the outsider he's at the bottom rung of society but he almost mm-hmm. breaks through he gets this date he goes through he has this big moment date. where he gets her yeah. but it's but it's that self sabotaging thing where it like That's where he just where like he wants to reaffirm he wants to reaffirm his nihilism and now we can blame the world for everything like fuck you bitch Ooh, and, interesting point and and that scene when he marches in to confront her is later at the campaign office very scary ass shit. That's dude. That's uh, active shooter time. The vibes. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. That is active shooter vibes. Like for it, it's real. Frightening. Yeah. It's frightening. Yeah. Well, yeah, what does he scream when he leaves? You're all going to hell. Yeah, I mean, that's you when go. you hear that in a city street, you run away. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, that, you're all going I mean, to hell. I think that that brings up something. Like now, I'm going to disagree with Tom on something actually. Because I back to that Iris thing. I don't. That's why I think he's not really genuinely interested in her. He's just hanging like he's got all this um, rage towards society. He, I think he really just wants to kill people. And he's looking for an excuse to because, I mean, like he was going to kill the president or whatever, you know, or the guy running for president. So I think like he's not necessarily and that's like not that's kind of tangentially related to Sybil. But he gets sort of just misdirected into that. I guy, know what it is. You know? So, I know what it is. It's 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 I think for this movie, they were looking for, you know, some way to make him heroic in some way to because she's someone that can be saved he can't be saved because he's too far gone she's somebody that is part of the filth world that is too you know that still has a chance and i think that's kind of what they were trying to say with that you know to, to that. Extent. but his savior well, is saving her is so fucked up he's like you know like he oh, murders yeah. three people in front of her and her life is destroyed yes. right then you know it's like so he saved her you know like it's so uh well i know. mean You know, I actually wanted to bring this up with you guys um, right where we're going with this conversation. I think, and this is very much uh, time for like Paul Schrader as one of the big elements of the film. Ding, it's Paul Schrader time. There is a moral ambiguity, and I'll just put it this way, maybe very bluntly, a modern active shooter, those pieces of shit, like those poor people in Aurora, Colorado, whatever. He doesn't, he can't see their faces. He has no idea they are. It's like kids and stuff. But, yes, he has a murder, an inclination to murder, and it, of course, involves assassination, but then it defaults down to what he feels as pieces of shit human beings. These people, <laughs> I mean, he kills, one of the people he kills 
pimps a 12 year old girl and talks about like you can like you know take her this way that way turn around <laughs> and like that guy is a miserable piece of shit. yeah and you know if i had heard a person like that did get popped in the street i'd shrug that's not to me like an aurora colorado kind of moment and the other guys are equal pieces of shit. They're in the mob, clearly. You know, they're taking the, the money and, and they're exploiting like 12 year old girls. So, what I'm saying is, there's um, this is very Paul Schrader territory. No, hold on. It's like there's a moral ambiguity in his target, not the assassination attempt. I agree with that. But there's a moral ambiguity. And I think he's, he's affixing a ton of things. And he's doing this thing that's very American, like you were saying, Marcus. He's mythologicalizing this entire circumstance. He's, he's objectifying Iris as the as like the thing that is needs to be saved from being brought down by a living hell and the demons new york city's a hell on earth and the demons are these miserable pimps in the alleyway and i need to take her get her home get her going to school and rescue her which is also like in the searchers which influenced the film and i think there's some moral ambiguity there because he's not simply just starting to shoot people in times square and I think okay. that that makes the film very tense yeah. and a, a very a real hot potato, you know, and yes. that's where there was a lot of fear about vigilante justice in general in the 70s. This is a post, right. you know, a death wish film. Totally. Please. And, and, and you know, 100%, I'm, I'm totally with you. I, I think that, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is in the lens, I, it's hard to watch this movie without just, you know, what's happening in our world today. It's hard to see it to unsee, you know, that, right? And so yeah, I think yes. I think that, you know, this movie just because of its probably its time, you know, and, and when it was written and when it was put together, it's like by today's standards mass shooters, you know, are people who who have an urge to commit those sort of things. They're not that cool. They're not going to like stop, you know, um some sort of like, you know, a sex trafficking operation. Well, they're, not they're not yeah, crusaders. They're not crusaders. Their mythology, yeah. it's it's pure yeah. nihilism. I mean, they're shooting, you know, 5-year-olds. Yeah. Right. No, it's like um it so there's a huge difference, but in a way right. there is no difference because it's violence. Right. Um but it's the one same last psychology. thought. It's the same psychology oh. that we're seeing on display like, yeah, you know, I in agree. this movie. I agree. And, and I just want to say that to me, if this movie were made today or made in maybe a, a little bit more authentic way, it it's would like not he, happen. It wouldn't. But he would go into the Palantine <laughs> office. He'd be shooting up fucking Albert Brooks and he'd be shooting up the well, like you're saying, yeah, the campaign. You're all going to hell. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. right. Good point. Yeah. But there's one other thing. Can, you please. Uh, well, if there's one other thing, but I was going to bring up something that I don't like about the movie. Ooh, <laughs> fun, always fun here at one fucking hour. It's always fun to shit on. <laughs> I love no, movies. not that. No, no, no. It's like, like, well, like we're like we've said. It's a no, thread I know, I know. It's like it's. Are you perfect? No, you're ninety nine percent perfect. That was yeah, yeah. so yeah. fun about deliverance. There's, some, on, there's a moment. I, there's another scene that I don't. A whole scene I don't like is that when, that <laughs> he that he actually picks up Palantine in the cab. You know, like, okay. that's just like too oh, much of a yeah. coincidence that right, makes right. the world feel really small and it bothers me, you know. Not bad. Yeah, the coincidence. Except yeah. for, except uh, for, except for maybe he might have found a more tasteful way to do it. But I do think like it's trying to communicate the idea hmm of the kind of class structure or the like like you know like like because i think that paul schrader i don't know this for sure but maybe he's kind of poking fun at the the political candidate and 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 sort of his very oh, you know, surface surface level sort of, oh, of like, like i represent no, the people like, and i understand people well, like you 
Well, let me ask you. You're a working man. Yeah. What yeah, do you yeah, think yeah. needs to be fixed in this country, Travis? You know. Yeah. Of course. Right. right. And he gives him like a really, really generic, you know, answer that you can hear it. However, you know, you can hear it however you want. And he's like, "Well, it's gonna take." He's like, "We well, gotta clean up the street," you know. And 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 the Palatine's like, "Well, it's not gonna be easy," you know. And everyone yeah. hears that differently, right? So. Right. But I, I I totally understand. It is a little you know perfect there to have that. Um, hey, let's change it from the theoretical. And getting some nitty gritty because we got less than twenty minutes. And what I mean yeah. by that, if you guys don't mind, let's do a quick roundtable of some favorite supporting actors. What do you say? <laughs> we did one with the uh, the honky guy with uh, Peter Boyle, Errol Flynn's Giles, uh, and, and Peter well, Boyle. Don't we all have like, the same favorite? Well, no, oh, yeah. but I'm just saying. Let's talk about like some of the other great characters in this film. Sure. Um, well, let's yeah. go for the gold. Okay, totally. We will. Um, uh, yeah, I do want to talk about the ending shoot scene. I want to make sure we get that enough time. Save time for that. Um, <clears throat> okay. okay to break uh, it up a little. Really we'll break down. It. Well, okay. Favorite people in the movie. Okay, I- I'm going to start with one. I know it's on your list. You know, and this th- this highlights Scorsese as a great director. Uh, obviously, we haven't really put him over at all on the show, but he's great and he's super good at creating that real texture, incorporating doc style elements, like we said. But he's also a very spontaneous filmmaker, and 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 grabbing real life and throwing it into a movie, like the guy he's a with the shoe maker himself. Yeah, I'm sorry, Evan. Like the guy with the uh, uh, shoe polish hair who's uh, doing the old drum solos in the middle of the street. Come on. Oh, Gene Krupa, 1938. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dude, that guy fucking rules. Amen. Yeah. Good call. Yeah. yeah. Don't forget about him now. Um, Good and, call. And of course, we have to Love talk him. about, uh, if we're talking about people who have cameo roles or character actors, we have to talk yeah. about Scorsese's scene himself that he oh, has of course you would why don't you recite some of his dialogue evan right now uh on the internet uh, he's in it, i noticed tonight he's in it twice Did he's in it twice that? he is yeah yeah, yeah. yeah there's a fleeting like a hitchcockian cameo yeah yeah when he's actually saying nothing can touch her do you think it's uh, the uh same guy by. do you think it's supposed to be the same guy no 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 not at all okay <laughs> it's his twin brother okay um the other well, that guy, guy runs like like he works with his brother in a plumbing business. Yeah, right. the, the guy in the back seat of the cab. And now you, you want to recite that entire scene that he, his oh, dialogue. Yeah. Now, you should Evan, see what that. Right? No, no, you should. Did you ever see what it can do to a woman's pussy? And that you should see. That you should see what a forty-four magnum is going to do to a woman's pussy. You should see. Oh, are you arguing <laughs> this? Okay. Wow. Okay. There's worse words. It's ugly. Yeah. It's the yeah. ugliest thing ever. It freaks out Travis. He just stares at him. It's you know. You no. Know, it's you know what's so great? intense. It's unbearable. It's it's really one of the best performances it's in the movie. Unbearable. And do you know what makes that scene? Here's a one fucking hour detail. What makes that Please. scene so amazing is when he's going off about that, you know, and the, the whole thing. Um, and the moment when it's like scary for Travis is there's a little shot from behind Travis's head. Do you, do you remember this? It's like it's like we're now reversal. POV of uh, Martin Scorsese's POV. Yeah, okay. Just a static. I'll, I'll cut to it right here. Static, creepy back shot of Travis Pickle's head, and that one shot is just makes mm, sets the mood again. for that. Yeah, it's amazing. Interesting. Yeah. Well, wow. so we love the director making um, a really unforgettable one of the uh, most character. insane director cameos of all time. I know, just like a hundred percent repellent, misogynistic. Homicidal piece of shit. It's a nightmare scene. And that's part of Travis. He couldn't find trajectory. anybody that would actually deliver that dialogue. So he's just like, oh, fuck <laughs> well, it was going to be myself. somebody else. Wait, it was, Evan, yeah. we talking, it was going to be somebody else. And then the guy fell through. And he, he got, Chris he, says, he's like, I'll do it. 
He couldn't make it? it. He couldn't show up, or he got sick, or some something. guy. Yeah, I can't right. remember. That's my. Yeah. It was a last minute twice, is because he he already shot his cameo once, you know, and then he's like, oh god, now I have to be this character in it. So that's why. That's my theory as to why. Got to do it. Twice. One of them's like it. near unrecognizable. I love that he stepped in for it, though. I love that. <laughs> no, it's great. So one of the round. So on the round robin, now this is talk about genius. You've got a. You've got. Um, it's 1975. They're shooting the film. Scorsese doing like huge fat rails, you know, on Saturday night, up all night, like, hey, what's this thing, SNL? What is this shit? What's going on? I'm, I'm in the zeitgeist. It's New York City. New oh, Saturday Night Live. Whoa, there's this weird filmed piece. Who's this guy who does these weird film pieces in the first season of Saturday Night Live? He's really funny. He's really weird. He's really trippy. I love this. Ring, mm -hmm. ring, give him a call. Albert Brooks. A friend of the show, we did Modern Romance <laughs> recently, he, he kills it. It's, of course, as you'd expect, Scorsese just said, improv everything. Just be Albert Brooks. And he does. And it's hilarious. It's like um, he's trying to do the trick that Betsy's saying he couldn't do, which is having only his pinky and his uh, thumb. Like, light a match. And he's like, well, okay. And like, well, I got my finger back for a second, so I can light this match. Brilliant. Hilarious. Um, how about the little quip? Um, like, uh, put your glasses on. Look at this guy. And he's like, okay. And he already had his glasses on. Albert Brooks. That's Can I a, say something about that? Can I say something about that? I, I actually saw a little interview with him about uh, this being, being in this movie. And it was kind of amazing because brilliant choice again on Scorsese to cast Albert mm. Brooks in this movie for this kind of oh, part, you know, it. but apparently in the script, the character was just really not really fl fleshed out much at all. Mm. And so, so Albert Brooks basically helped to write all of his, his own lines. I think he wrote all of his own lines. So I just said, right. He's like yeah. improv go totally. And, right. um, but it, it was funny just to hear him comment on when he was coming up with it. He basically said like, you know, this character, he can't be funny. You know, he has to be regular office guy funny, you know, and, yeah. I, and he is. No. <laughs> well, and that's yeah, the thing. You know, it's funny, too. There's a point to his character. It's not simply, um, you know, like a little breather, which is funny. There's actually humor in Taxi Driver, kind of, you know, uh, it's surprising in a way. Uh, oh, yeah, and it's yeah. so refreshing, the contrast. But also, more significantly, and most significantly, is Travis Bickle chimes in on the Albert Brooks character. You know, he says to Betsy, you know, like, I, I don't I don't have a problem with him, but I think he's silly. You yeah, know? that's amazing. And so and what the thing is, is and this is interesting, you know, obviously, Albert Brooks is making very clear. I want to date you, Betsy, and yeah. she's not interested at all. And I think that she, you know, she wants to listen to like, you know, Chris Christopherson and like Blood on the Tracks, Dylan, like she wants to she has like heavier feelings. And Albert Brooks is a very silly person. She would agree with Travis like he is silly and trivial. But Travis is more like a blood on the tracks kind of deep guy in his own weird way, at least his first impression to her. And so it's I'd like what they did is they contrasted the two males in her life at this moment in time of a person who um, doesn't do anything for her. And there's a person who, like but what I'm saying is you can see then by contrast, she's intrigued by Travis because he seems to have an edge, a depth and an intensity that some silly office boy who like makes little goofy jokes and stuff uh, right. not, doesn't give that at all to her. I mean, she wants heavy blood on the tracks kind of guy. So um, the other, just we're round robining here. Uh, one of maybe, maybe my favorite cameo of all time is American boy, Stephen Prince. Uh, Stephen Prince is uh, Easy Andy. That's his character. He's Easy Amazing. Andy <laughs> in a rented hotel room because that's how this guy rolls. He crystal meth? I can get you crystal meth. 
Yeah, where it's like uh, nitrous <laughs> oxide, like LSD, mescaline, let's go. And like, no, so he sells, he's a gun, he's an illegal you know, dealer, and he has all these guns, and it's an incredible scene. And, you know, yes, it's American Boy. If you're familiar with the documentary that uh, Martin made a couple years before, uh, Stephen Prince is just a friend of Martin, just kind of a wild, crazy guy. I actually got to know Stephen Prince in the past amazing. few years. Yeah, uh, you yeah. know, I befriended him, and I've like had dinner with him and stuff, and he's a great guy, very fun, very cool. And so, um, it's American Boy is one of the best, like, I know. docs. It's so highly awesome. recommend it. Okay. Everyone should see that, yeah. And, um, and that's uh, and, and, and that's easy, Andy. That's a great cameo. Now, I know we're really running out of time. If you don't mind, just like kind of like a power move on moving forward, maybe some favorite scenes, I, like I isolate have... scenes. How about we get through the ending stuff? Because I want to talk about the ending. Then we do that. So do that, sure and it. then we can roll through yeah. a couple killer scenes. Go. Yeah, I know. Bleeding time. Okay. So obviously, the ending. Let me just set it up. The ending gun battle. You know, with the movie. Obviously, it's it's so well done. You know, from a technical I standpoint. I mean, it's amazing how sloppy it is in terms. How of about the just the sound of it? Sound. It's great. abstracted and echoey. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> So awesome. And just, you know, the, the idea of just, yeah, all the choreography, the special effects, it's incredibly gruesome for the time. It's the, the it's, tracking it's, camera. Yeah. Oh, the uh, overhead uh, tracking camera. Overhead track amazing. camera over the, uh, through the uh, apartments. But I, I wanted to get your guys' take because even going back to when I saw this movie originally, when I watched it all the time back when I was 15, 16. As soon as the camera slow-mo tracks outside with the cop cars and the lights and everything, mm. that's where I wanted the movie to end. And that's where I actually... I know, I know. That's, that's where I stopped Many, the movie. That's actually where I would actually hit stop, you know? Many say that, yes. And, 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 and it, it, it feels yeah. like... I don't want to... I feel like I'm recutting Taxi Driver here, but... It, like I, it just feels like you know, like what Tamarcus was saying earlier on in the episode is like, you know, and and in reality, she's probably, you know, Jodie Foster's character is going to be horribly fucking traumatized by, you know, don't kill him, don't kill him, shoots the guy in the fucking face, you know, and then all yeah, that stuff. Yeah. And so, um, to me, I wanted to open it up to you guys to sort of talk about that because to me, it feels like the ending of this movie should be her screaming while the credits are rolling, but instead we get a little bit of an epilogue. So, well, that slow mo pullout. So powerful, and the music swell. We even talked about the music, the swelling music. Yeah, it's uh, it's stunning. Uh, uh, the the resolution of the massacre. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, are you asking? So I, I just want to ask because the epilogue. Obviously, some people say it's a dream. Some people say it's a fantasy. Some people say it's not. You know, I totally. Scorsese has chimed in on this. Okay, tell me. I don't know what that is. And or Paul Schrader, mm -hmm. if this is helpful to you guys, because it is somewhat controversial, and I have. Uh, I don't know how I feel about it a lot of times, but Scorsese has said, no, that is not a dream. That is reality. And that is what happened. And this is, and if you really understand Paul Schrader, you can see then um, why he would want to have that epilogue and, um, and how it, uh, it, it, what it does is illustrating uh, like a correction and, and uh, of uh, a chaotic world and a chaotic city and a chaotic man. It's actually an incredibly dark thought where, he purges himself through mass murder and killing the quote-unquote bad guys. He purges himself in a blood ritual, and he comes out of it a more whole, centered, and at-peace human being. It's <laughs> what he needed. 
a purging act of violence against quote unquote bad guys. And that's very Paul Schrader. And, um, and it also gets into like almost like biblical shit. You know what I mean? So if it's not a dream, which I could see the reasoning for that, there's a few things. There's new, if it's not a dream, there's articles that he's got pinned up and, 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 and correspondences with Iris's parents. Thank you, sir. You saved my daughter's life. You know, she's back. She's feeling good. She's okay. She's back home now in Iowa bullshit. And, um, you know, that's, that's actually to me more chilling than almost anything because it's saying the film's message is sometimes you need to just fuck shit up and get it out of your system and, and purge yourself through got, a, a trial of blood. I got something Yikes. on this. I got some, that's a scary thought, but I think they do resolve that. And another, like, I know Scorsese has also talked about the very last thing that you see is like, right. He, uh, the, the very the, last he, he sees something and he, everything's golden again. He's, mm-hmm. you know, he's going to be a never golden, not golden again, but not, for the but first like time a, not golden, but hold, hold on, let me talk. Okay. So he's like, I'm a member of society. I'm people are giving me praise or whatever. I'm a newspaper, you know, people. So all that Betsy's stuff really back. Happened. Betsy's back. It's not a dream. By the way, dream. I always get bummed out. People like attribute everything. Every movie theory is like or a whatever, dream. Right, I get yeah. so sick of that, you know, but whatever. Um, so, but at the very end, he's like, uh, he, he drops her off or whatever. Then all of a sudden, he's driving away. Then all of a sudden, he sees something in the rearview mirror, and there's like a sound cue there that supposedly, of course, as he said, the last thing that the last sound cue that Bernard Herrmann gave him for the movie was that, like in the into the into the, uh, the rearview mirror backwards sound effect. Yeah, and he says that you know that's the sound of him like the ticking time bomb starting again or whatever is starting. Whatever is going to, you know, the, the cycle starting over again, the movie ends, how mm-hmm. it begins with the mm-hmm. titles and the, and the smoke and stuff. And it's supposed to be like, this is going to repeat itself again. Right. You know, next time well, it may not work out well. I think Schrader said like this, yeah. it may not work out well for Travis the next time. That well, that's what I was just going to say is there's, there's, taxpayer is three endings. And I usually hate that. A lot of bad modern movies have three endings. It has the ending you're talking about, the slow-mo pullout of the massacre, Evan. There's the um, the resolution where it becomes golden and feels unreal and dreamlike, but he actually has gone through a purge of fi- blood. We were just talking about all that, and Betsy's there, and he kind of rejects Betsy, you know, which is like it feels good to him. But yes, there's a third tiny ending, which is quite unnerving. It's what you're saying, which is, the, and it becomes highly stylized, unlike yeah. the rest of the entire film. Yeah. A backward sound effect, a, a, a quick. A, a sped up zoom and he looks very insane and that's actually the final note of the film and the final note of the film is this guy it's sort of like the ending of like a horror movie where it's like you know the hand comes out of the, the grave like dun 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 you know like like travis is still travis and he maybe he's worse than ever and he's thinking that the solution to everything is a fucking bullet to people's heads it's in it's darkness upon darkness yeah it's one of the most darkness endings ever yeah. it's total side note I met Thelma Shoemaker, I swear to God, and she said that uh, there's a shot in Tales of Hoffman that they both were inspired by for that oh, one, that final shot. Interesting. So throwing yeah. that out there, hint to you, Evan. Well, I'm just it's the say, look of someone in yeah. Tales of Hoffman. I'm just gonna say, then we can rapid fire here. But you know, to me, it's like I kind of just want to see like a full noir ending to this movie. Jodie Foster scream, total EC Comics ending. You know, with the credits mm-hmm. rolling, with pure fucking dread. Yeah. You know, 
None of this Travis dying. Auteur bullshit. Yeah, reboot. I know. Okay. Well, you know what? You didn't get that. And we got three endings. Yeah. You've got the end. You brought up Evan. I brought up the second to last. And you brought up three the more third. endings. Three last, fucking last endings. Three fucking well, yes, yeah. Three endings. And they just, and how about Let's this? Do- Sequentially darker, darker, darkest. Wow. Can we do like, we, we don't have time for scenes, but maybe we have time for like, just to everyone get something off their chest before the, uh, the time runs scene. out. I'll have a scene and then I will completely shut up and maybe it's um You have two minutes. The Go. film's very <laughs> yeah. got it. The film not, not uh, a it, full two minutes. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. It's very sad. This film, I think it's mostly sad, the emotion yeah. in this film. He's a tragic character, exemplified by this incredible scene. He's watching uh television, a fucking he's really at the end of his rope and Stole he's mine. um drinking in the day or something. It's like he's watching soap operas, but he's not even watching, his eyes are glazed over, he's holding a gun. And he's watching and he's and he's kind of rocking back and forth what's keeping up his tv showing soap operas it falls over and then uh the the tv breaks explodes big great uh, music cue uh, you know uh, bernard herman's incredible and he just holds his head it's like leatherface in texas chainsaw massacre he's holding the gun and he's holding his head and he's like uh, and he's so gone and it's such huge tragedy and it's the yeah. best shot in in this film I th- maybe ever go I, I i thought you were gonna steal mine i'll be quick and marcus you take us home mine is actually the other tv scene i actually am a bigger fan of oh. the e- total emo mass shooter moment where he's watching american bandstand with that song is that yours marcus because jackson that brown is, is uh, jackson brown yeah. i was gonna mention that I, i've totally forgot that scene existed that, this e- was like the first time i would seen it <laughs> yeah that's incredible. an incredible well, scene you know they're, they're yeah. parented i mean not parented but they're they're, they they're paired yeah, it's yeah. beautiful stuff. Travis yeah, watching okay. TV. All right, Marcus. I, well, I just think like that ties in with like just the, the general Scorsese-ness that's in that like kind of rears its head in this movie. You know, like the pop song moment that like feels mm-hmm. really good. You know, like cathartic to watch, and you're just like emotionally engaged in the movie at mm-hmm. that moment. And then also the the camera work is like feeling super Scorsese in this movie. All the push-ins, pushing in on something, dollying down. You know, dollying oh. down and then lowering the dolly and. All those shots are just the hallmark. They go. He goes really hard into later. Like some movies feel like they like yeah, I don't, Wolf true. of Wall Street feels like they overdo it maybe, but like yeah, this yeah. movie, it feels like a great balance. It feels light years away from like you know all the movies that are around it at that time. It really feels like it's pushing the form. It doesn't feel like a '70s movie to me. It feels like it's I from agree with you. like a later. It's another era, level. Yeah. We went to another level. Cinematography. Well, that's it. Hey guys, yeah. I'm gonna run and get something. Uh, I'm saying time's up. Talk to yourself. I'll be right back. <laughs> All right, everybody. Dang. That is uh, one fucking hour on uh, Taxi Driver. Hey, what's He's going to go get a mohawk, I think. What's what, He's just shaving his head aggressively right now. What's in the background <laughs> there? Uh, what are we looking at there, Tom? Um, <laughs> All right. Anyway, uh, that was one fucking hour on Taxi Driver, everybody. Felt like it was a little bit of a battle at times, trying to... Little, little cage match there to try and get uh, all of our thoughts of this wonderful movie in, but that's that's part of the show. The clock's on, the heat is on, the, the time working against the time. It's um, three people fighting for to get their points in about the, uh, the movie or two an hour or two people fighting to get there. <laughs> Wait, yeah. who's who's not fighting? Are you you thinking you're not fighting for time? <laughs> all right, guys, c- calm down. For you, it's it. entertaining, and we only <laughs> stupidly set up just an hour. Now, I was just looking, and I cannot goddamn it find it. Oh, it's over there. Um, I have the Assassin's Diary, the Arthur Bremer book, oh. and it's amazing. 
And I guess, Evan, you could probably pop on the cover. Yes, uh, pop on right now. Post. But I did find this when I was looking for um, that book. So oh. nice. this wow. is like the paperback, you know, more or less <laughs> the 70s or late 60s paperback that, you know, they were throwing around. Like De Niro gave it to Scorsese. And he's like, so that's what he would have read. You know? Yeah, exactly. Like almost literally just this beat up. There's a nice, uh, awesome. there's a, there's a very nice patina very cool. on that copy there you have. Um, no, I know it's, it's, it's a really cherished job. It was like 50 cents. That's cool. Uh, that's awesome. Over there. Talk amongst yourselves. Uh, okay. Can. All right. I'll be right back. Give me 10 okay. seconds. Okay. You know, we didn't, you know, this is a, there was a uh, Peter Bogdanovich connection to that movie, right? Um, so Peter B. Shepherd. Oh, of course, yeah, Peter right? B. Yeah, Peter B. <laughs> we should. The, the, this whole show should just be six degrees of Peter B. Um, but <laughs> it probably is so far, you know. Yeah, it probably is. Yeah, but that uh, it was interesting. Like you know, I I, I came into this. Again, just like a couple days ago, not knowing at all what I was going to talk about for this movie. But I think we did look and examine at some interesting topics and, and, and Dude, really I thought criticize, it was great. criticize some, some, some TD. So. Absolutely. And, and, and we were mulling things over. I don't know how I feel about some aspects of the film. I thought we did find a couple clunker moments, which I, I really love. That's like a pet thing that I like about our show, <laughs> which is like that one little, 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 well, no, I was calling it like um, a dead pixel of the film. Yeah. Dead pixel. Right. Like your dead TV's pixel. fine, but there's like one little, like, <laughs> I forgot what it is in deliverance, but okay. Drum roll. I found it. Woo! Everyone needs to read this book. It's un it's not a book. It's <laughs> it literally is just this weird asshole's diary. And, um, Here, show the camera. it's almost like Schrader. Say again. Oh, sorry. Yeah. There you go. Schrader um, should almost be sued because this book is Taxi Driver. I'm not even wow. kidding because, you know, there's diary entries in Taxi Driver. Right. Right. And, right. and just uh, uh, I wish I prepped this. I just forgot. I could have read something from you guys. That's no. OK. OK. You know what? I will uh, cheat. Uh, April 4th, 1972, 8.30 a.m. Hooray, hooray. Great day for democracy and capitalism. You know, like uh, he's 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 uh, tracking and stalking uh, the candidate um, for president that he uh, shoots. Wow! Not, doesn't kill, but he shoots. Uh, buy this book right now, uh, Evan. This is for you, Evan. Okay, yeah, I I'm love it. I love when there's a movie you this need big. This book. I love when there's a movie this big and like all the source material is kind of out in the world and you people know about it. You know, like. Uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's a people are talking about online about the David Hockney movie, which I love a bigger splash. And like, that was a part of his, um, Scorsese's like influence, you know, inspiration for this like, the photography style. Yeah. I know. Shocker. I was like, so weird, but like, I love when you can in the Hitchcock, obviously. And you know, oh, yeah. um, with, cause of Bernard Herman, I just love when there's all those source materials out there. I find it so inspiring because I feel like a collage type creative person myself, where like I'm taking bits and pieces and you feel like mm -hmm. you're just, assembling things that you don't really have ownership of but then you realize that that's what hey, someone like take, scorsese is doing too you if know? you so like i think I if you that mash up if you mash up like you know the best shit out there and you get to you know that's that's a sign of a great artist is mashing up just the coolest shit from all different walks of life well, i i, I kind of like that thread that we did with the film taxi driver uh in in that we did address things like the assassin's diary and the searchers like a lot of the elements that inform me. You know, we didn't talk about, and I'm not going to because we'd be cheating, but I wanted to really get into how weirdly Schrader was inspired to write Taxi Driver with his um, alienation, ennui, and anomie 
in Los Angeles. <laughs> he was a taxi driver in Los Angeles. I'm, I'm not trying to talk about it because we screwed up and it's, we're hey. over. But no, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm just saying like... Um, but you do, uh, you, do, you do see that in interviews with him. He does talk about it, you know. So I think yeah. we made a lot well, of space I, I Continued our, reading. Continued reading. Continued reading. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Uh, but let's but talk about... How about next week? week? Next week. Okay, we're so doing next Frozen. Yeah. <laughs> Marcus wanted us to do Frozen. So. No, we're doing... We're doing uh, Jay and well, Silent Bob Strike Back. Um, okay. Oh, oh shit. God. Naga Nooch. Naga no. We're all going to wear um, hockey jerseys. Oh, right? God. And like backwards baseball hat. Backwards baseball hat. Oh. oh. But, 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 the, but, the, but the hockey uh, jersey <laughs> oh, wait, still he's huge. Already got one. <laughs> but you, oh, yeah, you're all set. You're halfway there. No, but like the, the hockey jersey is still enormous and triple X L. Yeah, because he used to be fat, but like we're, we're all thin, so it's gonna wear really weird. Because <laughs> he has this new look of yeah, like the thin post heart attack guy, but with still enormous baby clothing. Yeah, he still has this. He didn't change the word. So yeah, awful. I yeah, know exactly. Is. Okay, his we're shorts not. Shorts go down to like his calves. They're like a stovepipe of shorts that go down to the the calves. Okay, You're right. It looks on. like a bait, like a toddler, toddler. <laughs> Full-size toddler. Absolutely. <laughs> this is going Absolutely. off the rails. Okay, we are we not can do doing it. We're off the clock. We're, we're off the clock. But we're it's not, not doing it. It's not taxi driver, man. It's... <laughs> no, but no, he's just saying, like, uh, we're not this is doing repulsive. We're not I, I doing see everyone's. I see everyone clicking stop. Yeah, I know. Right exactly. Now. Okay, what um, movie are we doing next week? Okay, we're going to continue the themes and threads of urban uh, nihilism, I guess, if you will. Um, New York City nihilism. <laughs> New York City nihilism. And uh, we are going to focus, Marcus. <laughs> focus. focus. On me. Uh, sorry. Uh, yeah, focus on what we're saying. There's <laughs> a joke yeah. there. That's, that's a great joke. I don't know if anybody's ever done that. Marcus, I really need you to focus. Right <laughs> and uh, the, uh, that made to, me laugh. Go ahead. To, to our Spotify <laughs> listeners, Marcus' camera went out of focus. Okay. Um, yeah, sorry. He went out of his camera's out of focus. Yeah, we are going to be continuing the traditions of that, looking at another New York City piece of misanthropic horror uh, with oh, the 1980, brutal. right? Yeah, 1980, Tom. Yes. Oh, yeah. Brutal serial killer scuzz fest that is God. Maniac. So Bill Lustig's Maniac. Look at <laughs> A true... Yay. Well, you know what it is? Just, just uh, for me, the bumper sticker of this is... It's one of those rare horror films that really is horrifying. Yeah. Like I kind of hate comic booky. Not, no offense. Like comic booky, cartoony horror. Like uh, yes. te- Texas Chainsaw Two. Like I want like a horror movie to be horrific, and this film is. Yeah. Absolutely. It's big and it's like dreamlike, but it's absolutely relentlessly suffocatingly horrible. And yes. I, you know, I just, you know, and and, and it still is. It <laughs> you know, still it's is. like four years old. Did so we- yeah. He made a really uh, a heavy movie with, um, and and you know it's not unlike Taxi Driver in a few ways. It has um, a, a few parents, like it has an inspired director, but it also has an incredibly inspired lead performance. Yes, you know, yes, in, yep. in uh, Joe Spinell, who's yep. in Taxi Driver. Exactly. Know? So there's a little You're loose thread there. Trying to bust there. my chops. Yeah, there's a couple of nice threads there. Uh, so. <laughs> Maniac, I'm 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 super excited to talk about this movie. I love this movie. It's insane on many levels. It's insane. Um, it's not meant for it really a lot is. Of people. Uh, so it's not fun. Trigger yeah. warning. Uh, yeah. Up and down. 
Yeah, for sure. So, all right, everybody, that'll be next week, one fucking hour on Maniac. Uh, excited about that. And without further ado, we can't let you leave uh, without your moment of zen. <laughs> all right, I love everybody. how that's... It just right. cuts through the air. All right. Peace. <laughs> all right, bye, everybody, and Naganooch. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Pull the tag. Time for a fatty boom, fatty blunt. Mommin. Motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef. Mm-hmm.